Hello, welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Ginny. And today I also we're... Just, oh, sorry. I just touched my microphone when I was saying my name for no good reason, so I'm sorry if I picked that up. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but today we're talking about Life, life cereal. cereal. Yeah, and Fredless. Yeah. So, Life Cereal, not the cereal. <laughs> Cereal. That's not how you say that. Or serial killer. (laughs) Cereal like sequential, not like serial killer. (laughs) I mean, like serial killer, but But I don't know, Allie. That was a little Rorschach (laughs) testy of you. (laughs) Interesting that that's where your head goes. (laughs) Well, we did just, you know. know, Yeah, you're right. Some some villains. Fair Um, enough. I have to say, not that this is how we normally kick off the episodes, but um, I'm genuinely excited to talk about both of these. Yeah. I really liked Angel, is really what I'm saying. <laughs> not, not only did I not hate it, I actively liked it. <laughs> that's, that's a big one. Yeah, I have a lot of... I'm, I'm so excited. Such a nice, freeing feeling. <laughs> to not have to come up with ways to not be negative, but to just not be negative. <laughs> you liked it. You really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, how are you? I feel like I'm a little punchy. I don't know why, but... Um, I feel fine. I warned Allie about this, but just because I have headphones on when I record, uh, I can't always hear what's going on around me, and my cat is in an extra meowy mood today, so if everyone hears a cat meowing in the background, I promise she's not being tortured. She's just meowing in the other room. Well, she's being tortured because she doesn't have attention. <laughs> she really loves attention. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I it's it's really cute. I do feel like that was the biggest thing when we wanted to get a cat, and we like cats it for our friend, um, this adorable cat named Ollie. And he's just such a sweet cat, and he really likes being pet, and he likes people a lot. We were like, man, how did you guys get such a good cat? And they were like, well, we just went to the shelter, and he was the one that like came up to us. And so, I guess I'm just trying to say it's worth waiting for a good cat that you can tell likes people because she really likes people. Sometimes it's annoying how much attention she wants, but mostly it's like, wow, I really wanted a pet. I really wanted a cat that would want to be pet. And she loves being pet. Well, I mean, your other examples of cats are just antisocial. It's true. (laughs) The other cats in our family are um, not also friendly. Like, they're not, okay, two of them are not unfriendly. They just, like, don't want to be anywhere near people. And then one of them is just, like, Satan. That's like. true. You do always see them when there's a big gathering, though, and they don't... The more people that come, the less, the more shy they get. When it's just a few of us, then the other two are, are much nicer and friendlier. Yeah. My experience is, like, they are always hiding either <laughs> under the dining table mm-hmm. or in your parents' room or asking to go outside. It's true. <laughs> and then if Minnie is there, she's, like, banished upstairs because yeah. she literally can't be around people. It's true. <laughs> she's, like, the devil's familiar. She... <laughs> She is. (laughs) She's getting better, but yeah. I mean, she's a beautiful cat, so like you want to pet her, but she wants nothing to do with you. It's true. She sort of likes my sister, though. She's the only one about it. (laughs) Yeah, she'll tolerate my mom and my sister, and I think that's it. Anyway, well, someday you'll meet my cat, and she'll like you because she likes everyone so far. Such a low bar. (laughs) (laughs) She's also like. I mean, I, as soon as I, I shouldn't put this in a recording because I'm sure that that all jinx and curse everything. She has some bad habits, but it's, it does seem like she's 
growing out of them. You know, like she really used to beg us for food constantly when we were eating. I mean, and that's also constantly. And it feels like that's getting a little bit under control. And like part of that was that she started jumping out of the counters because she was like convinced there was food everywhere. But I think now that she's seen that there's not food, <laughs> there's not food that she wants or that she can get to on the counters. So she seems a lot less interested in doing that. So it's good. I think it's going well. That's good. Cause every time she jumps up there, you have to clean it. I know. And and also, it's by the stove in the oven. One day, I opened the oven door, and she like started poking her head in there. I was like, "You can't go in the oven. <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> but she got over that, so she's she's not interested in the oven anymore. She also tra- kept trying to get into the refrigerator for a few days, but she seems to have also gotten over that. So anyway, I mean, the ultimate thing is just leave her in there for a little bit. I'm not gonna <laughs> leave her in there. <laughs> and she else won't want to go back but in. She'll suffocate. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Oh. But yeah, yeah she doesn't want to eat fresh vegetables, so she's there's nothing for her to eat in there. Yeah. They'd just all be, like, shredded to death when she came out. <laughs> oh, no. Um, like, anyway, sorry to turn in this into the, on cat. On the office when cat hour. Dwight puts oh, Angela's in the cat freezer. in the freezer no. and all her french fry bags are shredded open. No. I would never do that. Anyway, how are you? No, I don't think that's a good way to put your cat down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Um... So it's Super Bowl Sunday that we're recording. I have no plans to watch the game, but I do. I'm like struggling with this craving for like wings. Mm -hmm. I do love wings. Do I order in like some wings and a burger just like because that's what everybody else is eating today? Mm -hmm. Or do I eat the food I have left over? I don't know, but Mm. I'll let you know what I I, You should get wings. (laughs) I love wings. Yeah. And it's a good occasion. It's like the only good, I mean, the only good thing about the Super Bowl. Yeah, I just feel like what's going to happen, though, is, like, I'm going to order them, they're going to come, they're going to be, like, kind of cold, and I'm going to eat them, and then I'm going to regret it, and then I'm going to have spent all this money getting them delivery when I could just, like, walk to the store and buy some wings, but, and make them myself, Hmm. but then I also don't really want to do that, so. Yeah. Probably going to end up not having any wings. I think you should have wings. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, we'll follow up next week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about Buffy, yeah? Yeah. Um, okay, so Life Serial, S-E-R-I-A-L, Serial. Um, you know, last week, we or last episode, we were introduced to the trio, which is Jonathan Warren and Andrew, who are kind of the resident, you know, self-proclaimed supervillains of Sunnydale. They are just a group of nerd boys that are, you know, trying to make a name for themselves. So this episode uh, definitely goes harder into them and their relationship with Buffy. So basically they've decided to have a bet between the, among the three of them and they're going to see more or less who can torture Buffy the best, (laughs) who can make her life the hardest or the most difficult. Torture isn't really quite the right word. They're not trying to put her in physical danger necessarily, just trying to like mess with her life. Uh, So one by one, they each try uh, a different tactic. So Warren goes first. He has some sort of little a uh, lint-sized me- mechanism that he sticks onto Buffy and it makes her perceive time in a really messed up way so that she keeps, time keeps speeding up around her while she seems to be standing still. So she um, goes to university with Tara and Willow to audit some classes with them, but not only does she feel left behind in the actual class classes themselves, but then soon she starts to literally feel left behind because she's just missing everything that's going on around her. But eventually she kind of figures it out. She finds the little thing on her sweater and is able to let to go back to normal. So after that, 
Uh, I should have said this, but meanwhile, Buffy is also trying to readjust into her life and decide what she wants to do. You know, she dropped out of college when her mom was sick. Uh, she doesn't have a job. So she's kind of like, now that she's back from the dead, she also needs to figure out what she's going to do with herself, you know, with all the hours of the day. So she tries to go back to college with Willow. Uh, after that doesn't seem to go so well, she joins Xander at his job at a construction site. And even though she starts impressing everybody pretty quickly with how strong she is and her maybe seemingly good work ethic, um, the next, the next, uh, of the trio is up and it's Andrew who summons some kind of demon or a group of demons rather. Uh, so she and the construction crew all get attacked. She of course saves everybody, but the type of demons that she's fighting disappear as soon as they're killed. So of course what she really ends up doing is destroying a construction site with no evidence that there was any sort of attack. Not that the evidence would have even really been great either, because frankly, what were these construction guys going to do with that bit of information? But uh, so she gets kind of left high and dry and gets fired, fired from that job. Um, so she moves on to the next thing, which is to try working retail at the magic shop with Anya and Giles, <clears throat> where the last uh, ploy kind of comes in. Um, and it is Jonathan who makes, sets a curse on her, basically, where she's going to get a customer with an impossible to fill request, but she can't escape this loop until she fulfills it. So this woman comes in looking for a mummy hand that keeps basically evading being purchased. So Buffy has to just keep living the same moment over and over and over and over again. Uh, eventually, she figures out how to get around this and she escapes this as well. Uh, so th once those guys are kind of done, you know, they've each had their shot. Buffy's tried life with Willow, life with Xander, life with Anya. She goes out with Spike next. <laughs> so she ends up uh, drinking whiskey, which she seems to hate with Spike and joining him as he just goes to some underworld bars, you know, full of demons. Um, he, it turns out, is going to play poker with a bunch of demons who, instead of playing for money, play for kittens. <laughs> I had to cover Ripley's eyes when we were watching that scene because this is a little traumatic. Um, but yeah, so the trio still are trying to go after her. Or that's not really what what are they doing at the end? Sorry, now I'm losing track. Suffice it to say, she and Spike track down the trio because she has recognized this van that they've been following her around in. Uh, they try one last attempt to pretend that it's not them. And Jonathan puts a spell on himself to look like a demon and she beats him up. But yeah, essentially they run away. They're not really defeated. Buffy hasn't totally figured out what's gone on, but um, she isn't being uh, tortured anymore. And then when she finally returns home, she uh, has a conversation with Giles where he uh, lets her know that he's going to give her a bunch of money, <laughs> which she needs, as we found out in the last episode, because most of the insurance money and life insurance money that her mom had has been used up to pay for medical bills and the, a couple of, couple of times that the house has already been destroyed. So Giles is basically going to give her enough money to keep her afloat for a while. Sorry, that got really long, as they always do. No, there's a lot going on in this one. I mean, because <laughs> it's basically like three mini stories inside of one. Mm -hmm. um, I was just thinking to myself, this is like Buffy's the show, like their version of like their Groundhog Day episode. Yeah. Where, <laughs> like stuff just keeps happening again and yeah. again and again, especially I think in the um, the store, like the loop. Yeah. With the, loop, with the mummy hand. But um, no, I think, that, first of all, this episode is funny. It is. <laughs> and it was fun to watch. Yeah. But I love this idea of like Buffy trying to get back into like her old life and 
but now also not really knowing what that is because mm-hmm. her life was so put on hold even before she um, sacrificed herself because mm-hmm. of like her mom's illness and all of that. So like it does raise a lot of questions like should she go back to school or like should, should she, she just, just get a job for yeah. or like, you know, what would that be? And I think it's and you know, obviously there's like mystical things at play here, but I also think it's a really good yeah depiction of that, like how it's right. never really that easy. Yeah, I mean, and even the trio comment on on her, like, lack of direction at some point in the episode, right? Like, I forget exactly what they said, but they make some sort of it's comment like they, about, like, like, what is she, she even so doing? Unfocused. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's a good pairing of Buffy. Yeah, uh, you know, it's not the same kind of as season two, like, pretty, I guess literal isn't the right word, but, like, pretty on-the-nose monster metaphors for one thing, but it is a really good, like, synchronization, right, between, like, the demons of this episode and the um, life problems, life drama in this episode. They do go hand in hand very well. I mean, and I don't, (laughs) I don't want to say this the wrong way. And I feel like we covered this in the, in the last episode as well. But I mean, the trio is, they're, they're very entertaining to watch. They are funny. And, you know, I am enjoying them so far as, as kind of foils. I think at this point, I, I guess what I, I don't want to say, like, they're just harmless because we know that that's not true. And even in the last episode and this episode, I mean, they are genuinely causing harm to people and to Buffy specifically. Uh, so I, I don't want to laugh them off, but I also don't want to not enjoy, like, their bickering about which James Bond is the best or their constant little references to Star Wars or whatever. You know, like, that stuff is funny, especially I enjoy Andrew and Jonathan, of course. You know, we already know Warren is the biggest D-bag out of the group, so... Anyway, I also love, though, that their dynamic is like their Achilles heel, right? Like they're bickering yeah. over pop culture and all of this, like it really <laughs> doesn't help them, especially in this. It one, distracts like, them. You know, it distract. Yeah, it distracts them from what they're, they mean to be doing. Like Buffy and Spike basically walk right up to the van because mm-hmm. they're arguing over James Bond or something. Right. And I mean, that scene to me was so funny because Jonathan is like, like he said, like he transforms into a demon and then yeah. he still has his like proportional strength yeah. though yeah. and like the only reason like he doesn't get totally demolished is because Buffy's drunk so. yeah <laughs> but like literally he ha- he's like okay you've defeated me I'm going to escape through my portal and then throws like a smoke bottom but you can just see him running away <laughs> still like it's clearly not effective as a ruse at all really other than again yeah, that, like, Buffy and it's Spike so are, like, bewildering too drunk to yeah. see it like exactly. they're like where did he go <laughs> But yeah. So, I mean, they are amusing. I mean, and again, at this point, like they're, I think in the last episode, they, you know, caused quite a bit of harm and put people in, in actual physical, maybe mortal danger. But in this episode, it is a little bit more lighthearted. I don't know. Well, I guess I don't know, because like, that's a good point to bring up because like all of this that they're doing is like a big data collection exercise. Like they're trying to get info on like how Buffy reacts to things and her speed and strength and what she would be like as an opponent. But Mm -hmm. they are putting people at risk in their quest to do this. Like the construction site is getting torn apart. That's not safe. Like, you know, construction workers do actually get injured and Buffy gets the blame. But I mean, it's the trio Mm. that's causing this. So they're not really shy about civilian casualties. That's true. And I guess what I also, what I think this season or this arc has working in favor for it is that while I, yeah, like I don't want to undercut 
that these guys are really doing things that are harmful and they're being, you know, they're not just being comically bad as in comic book characters, but they're in the real, you know, in the, well, in the Buffy real world doing real harm. Um, I do think that's a little bit of, of the point. I mean, I'm not sure that was the point when they wrote it, but I definitely think it, it plays across that way now watching it is that like a lot of times guys like this seem harmless and because everybody doesn't take them seriously, that's kind of how it snowballs maybe into these bigger, more catastrophic events. You know, the longer that they kind of go on in their own little world of self-torture, maybe that, that like things are stewing. I don't know. Does that make any sense? No, it does. And I think it's good to bring up because like, you know, we'll see down the road, like even Buffy, when she first kind of realizes who who she's fighting, mm-hmm. she doesn't take them seriously either. Yeah. And it's... It's easy not to take them seriously. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, this is where I struggle with, like, what the show's intent is, and we can talk about this, like, later, but, like, because of the year that this aired, I just don't know that the show was really in a place to, like, be making a broader statement about not taking toxic masculinity that seriously. I'm certain that they weren't. Yeah. For the but most it part. it works really I, nicely. It, it does. It does. That's what I, I was trying. I gave Alex a whole earful about this when we were watching the episode of Buffy. I was like, man, this sure works great in retrospect. I'm like, don't know. They planned very much of this. I do think that they're aware, especially given the previous two times that we've encountered Warren, I think that they're aware of Warren being, you know, like, I think he's the one that even at the time, I think they were maybe trying to make a point about. I think it's more so Jonathan and Andrew that are kind of like, there's essentially still, I think, being written as comic comic relief. And I know that they're going to get more serious moments too, you know, later in the show and later in the season. But I do think that the show ultimately just means for this episode to be funny and not really for it to be sinister. But I do think that in 2019, it plays off well as both. Yeah. So I don't think they did it on purpose, but it sure is working. (laughs) Because like you're saying, they're less outrightly like douchebaggy than Warren, but like there's still, there's still these two examples of marginalized males who feel like they weren't accepted and Mm -hmm. they're taking, they're the means that they're choosing to exact retribution are, well, first that they're even trying to do that and that they're not really shying away from violence and crime as a way to do that. I mean... I don't think it's that overt. Like, they're not really... I think you're right. Like, they're still trying to use them for comic relief. But, like, if you really think about it, it's 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 more than that. Well, and, like, you brought this up last week. And I think we're... It's hard not to always have this in the back of your mind, too. With Jonathan specifically, you know, Buffy has saved his life multiple times. She's given him hard life lessons. You know, and the last time that we saw him was Superstar, where he put the spell on everyone. And after it was over, they had a heart-to-heart. He's the one that gave her the Class Protector Award. She saved him from the, you know, tower at Sunnydale. Like, they've had so many interactions with one another where she has, I think, been a good... I don't want to say friend, because they're not friends, but, like, he he was so close to having a different path. You know what I mean? I guess, I guess that's what I'm saying, is it's, like, it's particularly tragic with Jonathan because we've seen him over the years. And I, and I think it, it, it's not, like... A little bit of me wants to say, like, well, what a retcon that they kind of put him in this position, but I really don't think it is. I mean, it really is believable to me that it's like he was so close to, like, if he makes one or two different decisions, he could be a completely different person. And because he's not done those things, he still ended up here, even though at some point he did admire Buffy and he didn't, you know, he didn't always have this warped sense of of reality, even though he was maybe always pretty close to it. You know, and that also brings up some questions for later in the season of the what ifs of like, what if Buffy hadn't saved his life and what it, you Mm. know, how much of this would have happened or how much of the next season would happen, you know, because 
he does Jonathan kind of play a is role. Kind of at this weird center of some of this yeah. stuff. And it's one of those things where like you can't operate not saving people because they might come back and like True. Harm you, you know. Yeah. Again, I don't know that this show was really <laughs> I don't like, think intentionally they it. doing yeah. any of this, but it really works so yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Well, so aside from the trio, I think the other kind of you know, thread through this episode from the last few episodes. So Buffy is trying to get her life back on track and she's sort of, I don't know if she exactly asks for help or if her friends sort of offer this help, but they also sort of leave her in the lurch several times throughout this episode, especially once again, Willow surprise, surprise, (laughs) you know, like she agrees. She's like, Oh, you can just audit classes with me. It'll be super fun. And not only does she not even seem to have told Buffy what class they're going to, but she didn't like, you know, like, is very not self-aware of Willow. I get that, like, she's in a different place and she's been in college this whole time, so maybe these classes don't seem so difficult for her. But that class was also, I think, you know, laughably advanced. You know, people don't talk like that in any college class that I've ever been in. Or maybe I was only in stupid kid classes. But, like, even no. if you're in a really rigorous class, it's not that quick of a banter. So, like, the fact that... Like, I guess what I'm saying is that Willow had every reason to say to Buffy, like, hey, maybe this isn't the one to start with since you don't know any of the material and everybody talks at a thousand miles a minute. Like, like, she didn't even think to prepare her her for that. Exactly, exactly. And then, so not only does she not prepare her or warn her in any way, but then once it's going on, she's like, it's fine, you're fine, you're not, you know, like she offers her basically no support or comfort. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, thanks a lot. Like, this was a really great. Great job. Well, she's trying to comfort her and be like, you're not stupid, but she's literally done nothing to help Buffy help herself. Like, exactly. It doesn't seem like she's given her any advanced reading. But it she also seem then, like she even is trying <clears throat> to see it from Buffy's perspective. But it's also that kind of like, oh, you'll get used to it. Kind of like she's basically brushing off Buffy's concerns. She doesn't, you know, I don't think Buffy really thinks she's stupid either, but like Willow could at least acknowledge that like, oh yeah, that would be really difficult to follow if you haven't been here for all semester, <laughs> you know, like... She doesn't acknowledge that Buffy's feelings are valid at all either, and they obviously are. So, anyway, it, uh, another little check mark, check mark in Willow's list of demerits this season. You know, like <laughs> you're not being a very good friend. <laughs> I mean, and even Xander to some extent. I think he's in a more, at least, a more understandable tricky area where, like, what can he really do to protect Buffy from this? But I, I think it's also a little bit silly that they don't anticipate this. You know, Buffy is where demons are. And also, this can't be the first time that but one of Xander's sites has been attacked by a demon either. So it does feel a little bit like something there, too, probably could have been smoothed over or worked a little bit better. Although I'm not. I, I have a less obvious critique of Xander, other than he does kind of throw her under the bus and be like, well, you have to get fired. But I, I don't know that I see a better option for him in this scenario either, so... Yeah, you know, Anya is the only one who seems to make any real effort to help Buffy acclimate to what she's trying to do. And and it's sad for Anya because, like, retail is the one thing Buffy, like, really Really doesn't want to have to be trying. But Anya at least is, like, encouraging her, go talk to the customer. Yeah, it's true. This is what you can do. And, like, she's really trying to, like, be helpful and encouraging, whereas, you know... And she gives her training. kind of like, yeah, you're here, and Willow's just like, you know, whatever, but... Yeah. She gives her that training about, like, here's how you fill out the forms. Not to say that it was, like, super... Uh, thorough, but I think also in an episode of TV, we're not going to sit through all the training. So I think we could also assume that she did actually give her pretty straightforward instructions on what she needs to do. So that's a great point. Yeah. Anya's the one exception. Until Buffy didn't charge for delivery. Well, fair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's also a pretty classic uh, retail slip up. Yeah. I remember that happening a lot at this uh, cupcake place that I worked at. 
the, the new new people were like not careful and it'd be like well you didn't charge them for that <laughs> uh yeah I kind of want to talk a little bit about Buffy and Spike I mean we should this is like another example where we see Buffy running through all of her options with her friends mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> and she's trying but she you know nothing works out so she basically just goes and decides that I don't know she's gonna go get drunk with Spike mm-hmm. and I don't really try that what, on. Yeah. What they're supposed to be looking for. Like if they're trying to hear who's like attacking her or whatever. But all we really get is some insight into some of Spike's extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this idea that Buffy is drinking herself to the point of blacking out or being sick where she normally wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least we've never seen the old Buffy do that, really. Which, of course spurs Giles to kind of try and help her but I think it's really interesting this idea of like Buffy disgusted with Spike but yet still he's the last resort that she's come to yeah yeah and she's still mad that he's not really helping her the way she wants either though like all he does is take her to a poker game Mm -hmm. where they play for kittens I know (laughs) I know that it's disgusting and horrible but it is really funny They said I think it's about funny like, a... the money's getting away. <laughs> and they said something about a little tabby, and our cat is a tabby, and we were like, oh. no, Ripley, don't watch. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I do think that that is a good, that's a great gag, and it's also just hilarious. You know, it's a really sweet spot gag for, for the Buffy show, where it's like classic, like, these are terrible monsters that really do commit heinous crimes, but also... Like they have, they just tote kittens around everywhere, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I guess they are eating them, or at least that was the presumption with some of them that they're going to eat them. But that was what my a assumption. weird style of currency, too, though, because if, because it grows into a cat, you know, <laughs> you really only have a couple months where it's usable currency. Well, I think, I think they're like just finding kittens and finding new kittens all the time. Okay. Once or twice, and then they eat them. <laughs> and then eating them. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're growing to full size. <laughs> I suppose. Um, <clears throat> they were cute, though. Yeah. I guess I don't exactly know what to make of the Buffy and Spike in this episode. I do feel like um, the lens of the show maybe has shifted a little bit, whereas in the first couple episodes, it really seemed like they were positioning Spike as, like, the only person that can understand Buffy. And in this episode, it doesn't quite feel like that. It really it, it feels more like he's just a last resort. Yeah, I, I think mean, which it's is kind of what you said, really but clever though, yeah. because like, in one hand, he is the only one who can really understand her, but then on the <clears> other <throat> hand, he's still Spike, so it's not, yeah, like the ideal companion, right? Like, she's still gonna have to overcome yeah. all these other obstacles of like who he is, like right. just because he's there and understanding and being nice to her, like that's one aspect. The other right. aspect is he's still he's someone who he's, he, like, he, who eats kittens, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I'm annoyed that it I think is working well because I want to hate the show for everything that they're going to do to Spike, and I still will. But it does seem like some things are being eased in. They are at least casting some shades of gray on their relationship. It's not as though all of a sudden season six he's the hero that she needs to love. Not hero exactly, but you know, um, yeah. Whereas I feel like in those first couple episodes, it was like, wow, all of her friends are dirt bags, and Spike is the only one. I, no wonder she falls in love with him, but it's not going to exactly play out that way. I think this episode is a good pause in that relation, in that development, you know, while also yeah. being entertaining. Also, we got to meet Clem. Yeah. They didn't call him out by name, but 
the uh, extra skin flap demon who had an ace of spades in his in his arm Flaps. in his arm <laughs> flap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, big surprise demons cheat at poker. <laughs> I love that too, actually. That like the reveal is that literally every single one of them was cheating. <laughs> the guy was like, Spike was like, that guy has x-ray vision. He's like, I'm not using it. Like, of course he is. Clem was like, you're the one doing it. And like, he's got cards shoved up his arms. And then like, when they leave and Spike was like, oh, you saw that? That I was cheating? <laughs> you know, they really were all cheating. <laughs> I feel like I sh- there's more to say about the trio, but I guess I'm not really sure what it is. Yeah, I um I don't know if I have more about them, but I I did think that the interaction with Giles at the end that Buffy oh, had mm-hmm. is worth mentioning because For sure. It's just another example where he's offering his help and she's taking it to be more than it's supposed to be, like yeah. you know, um like last time, like last week where it was like, "Oh, he can take I'll the- help you with this." And she's mm-hmm. like, "Thanks for taking care of it." Yeah, and then it's true. this time, you know, he's like, "Here's some money." And she's like, thinks it like, feels like having a parent I don't know what I would do if you weren't here and it's yeah. like very clear that like maybe Giles's intent was to kind of trade the money for like a return to like leaving like it was kind mm-hmm. of like assuaging his own guilt about like leaving maybe. her again yeah maybe I don't know I don't know if I like, agree with that but I definitely think that's a valid interpretation <laughs> I, I, I mean, I do feel like there's also something to it where the only reason that Giles, not, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why Giles has so much money is because of what Buffy did in season five, right? Like she got him years of back pay and presumably yeah. he, he seemed to have already been lived, you know, he seems like a responsible and frugal person. So I think he, you know, that whole time in season four when he's unemployed, it's not as though he's like under threat of foreclosure or anything. You know, I guess what I'm saying is, is it's never, it seems as though he didn't necessarily need that money. So the fact that she gets it back for him like he does seem to have quite a bit of income at his disposal, whether it's from his family, whether it's from all of his years working or it's from that big back pay that he got that he wasn't expecting. But it does seem like it does seem fair that he does this because also, as we've talked yeah, about it's before, not like clear if it's a loan or no, I don't think I think it is clear that it's not a loan. I don't think he, he says nothing about any sort of strings or anything. And I also like, what would he, I don't, I don't think it's a loan at all. I think it also plays nicely into the idea that we've talked about before, where it really is unfair that the Slayers don't get any sort of stipend anyway. You know, maybe, maybe part of the theory is that their watchers get one and they use it to cover day-to-day expenses. But I guess what I'm saying is, again, it really seems more than fair that he does this. (laughs) I think outside of the emotional elements of it, I think it's, you know. He is her watcher. He is supposed to care for her. He is supposed to make sure that she is maintained. And even though they don't play strictly by those rules anymore, it makes sense. Yeah, I guess on that hand, it really does. Um, it also raised some questions for me about her friends who are just living in her house. Like, yeah, are they I agree. Not paying rent. I mean, because presumably they're saving on you know living it's costs true. at school by yeah. living in Buffy's house, and yet I have never heard any offer from Willow or Tara to pay their way. Mm -hmm, I I agree with that. Yeah. Like they never stepped up and were like, Hey, we'll help you pay for the plumbing or something like, which you could argue. They would have had to do that if, if Buffy hadn't. Yeah. But shouldn't they be paying rent? Well, I guess I'm also wondering if they, if they hadn't succeeded in raising Buffy from the dead, that what basement still would have flooded and then they would have had to pay for it. You know, it's not as though Buffy now all of a sudden is the lightning rod for these things. They are, are all there contributing to the wear and tear on this house. Yeah, it is pretty unfair. It's another check mark for Willow. <laughs> 
And you know, I honestly always, this isn't, this isn't fair at all, but in the first episode or whatever episode when they give her that talk about how, like, about your money, you don't have any, I also really always kind of get the impression that they've just been pretty loosey-goosey about it. Like, I do feel like they have this attitude that it's not their problem, so they're not going to be as careful about it as they need to be. Like, I do believe that Joyce's medical expenses would have significantly cut into her life insurance money. Like, that you know, we live in America. I get it. These things work this way. But I did also kind of get the impression that it's not as though they've been like budgeting their grocery bill or, you know, like being careful about leaving lights on. It doesn't feel like they had any awareness for how much money they were spending. I feel like they significantly contributed to this problem. I don't think I have anything that backs that up, but I really get that feeling. Buffy makes some comment like they were frivolously spending on necessities like food and clothing. (laughs) But um, and I think she means it as a joke, but it's also like you can be it does frugal kind of make about me question, it. Yeah. Like, how careful were they being by like, yeah. food and clothing? Like, well, I mean, and should they have really been using her money for clothing? I guess for Dawn, but I think it I, was for I think it's for Dawn. Yeah. yeah, I don't, and I and and you know, as Dawn is still growing, I just sure that, you know yeah. she does need new clothes. But, sure, um, but like that to me seemed fine. Like you know, but you know, Willow presumably her parents are like covering her tuition, yeah. and expenses, and like she's not facing financial ruin because she doesn't have a part-time job or anything yeah yeah and so I'm assuming she's still covered totally by her parents so like why she wouldn't even I mean Willow is sometimes just so unaware I think yeah I don't know like you could even get a discount like maybe it doesn't have to cost as much as living in the dorm but right I don't know or they buy something towards the utility bill or or yeah or they pay for all the groceries you know there's lots of arrangements that people come up with in these sort of situations where it's like, yeah, it's not totally fair to ask you for this, but here's a way that you can contribute because it's something that you're using. Yeah. I mean, maybe they've hashed this all out and it's just too boring for TV, but maybe. I'm <laughs> really <laughs> thinking <please>. about it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think ultimately you're, you're right. It's just not in the show because it's not entertaining, but I, I do feel like there is also some... I don't think it's crazy to make some assumptions about kind of how they've been living and how they've been treating the finances. Yeah. Since it ultimately doesn't affect them, I think they were a little bit careless about it. In addition to there being a lot of really legitimate expenditures. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I guess all that being said, I also don't want to brush over. I do think it is an emotionally resonant moment that Giles makes this offer to Buffy. And as much as she maybe takes it too far to mean he's going to do everything for her. I do think it was a gesture of, it was a paternal gesture and maybe that's not exactly what he meant, but they do have a closer connection than just one that's like operational and occupational, you know? So I do also think that it is a meeting. It's meaningful that he sees her struggling, sees that he could do something and steps in to do it. As much as I gave it kind of this like logical explanation, I do think there's more to it than that. Yeah. But I think again, there's the danger of Buffy taking it to mean like a more, permanent solution or continued like yeah where there we are we kind of it's heavily hinted you know that Giles isn't intending to stay I guess what's also interesting to me especially as we watch the next couple episodes is that I think sort of one reading of Buffy's you know Buffy kind of pushing everything on Giles is that she's just wants to be a 20 year old and doesn't want to take responsibility for things but I definitely think that it's a lot more stemming from this really you know unexpected turn that her life slash death took, you know, like she's really in a weird 
mental spot right now and nobody is helping her get through it. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is it really is understandable that she just can't be bought. She doesn't want to be bothered with the little things of life because she's still so distraught over everything that's happened. Like it, I guess I just mean it, it also makes a lot of sense to me that she's doing this. And I don't think it's just that she's being immature or careless, even yeah, though maybe no. she's also being those things. No, I mean, let's just never push aside the fact that Buffy just came back from the dead. Yeah, so. and then even before she died, she was really facing, struggling a lot to get by yeah. every day. So, yeah, that everybody kind of expects her to be normal and fine is also really unfair of them. And it is unfair of Giles to just be like, well, you can just run a household now, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe not quite that quick that we should just cut her off from any support network, you know? So I want to bring it up as a segue into Angel, but Buffy does return from oh, yeah. meeting up with Angel because oh, they uh-huh. have to see each other. Uh-huh. And they are both really annoying about this. They sure are. Why and is it a big the, secret? What more than the, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and more than them being annoying about it, the shows are being so weird about it. Why do you write those lines? I don't understand yeah. why they both were like, it felt very uh, contrived. Oh, yeah, we can't talk like, now that we can't really cross intense, over. I don't really want to talk about it. Literally can't talk about, about it. it. Yeah, I'm like, what? I don't know. Yeah, I really hate the way they do it. Is it that they were like bitter that they couldn't do crossovers, so they wrote it extra clunky? Because that's kind of how it feels. Like, oh, you just made this stick out even more than it would have. <laughs> Ugh. Agreed. They're being annoying. The show is being annoying. It just felt really Blech. strange. Like, I don't need to see some big epic reunion, but, like, they make it sound like it wasn't fun, like, that they argued or something. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's part of the problem, too, that is at this point in both of these shows, I can't imagine what that reunion even looks like anyway. You know, in season one of Angel, there's so there's still so much that's, like, smoldering left over from Buffy that I, I, you know, I, I enjoyed and appreciated those crossovers. But now, like, the further that they grow apart, I understand her wanting to see him after all this happened. But it does feel like they're trying to, yeah, act like it was something really, really epic when the reality is that Angel is not a part of her day to day life. So it's not to say that it couldn't be emotional or it couldn't be something. But for me, the viewer, like I I care so much less about how they're going to interact these days than I used to, you know. No, at this stage in her life, when Angel came to Joyce's funeral, that yeah. It didn't matter. Yeah. Like, I just didn't get the swoony, like, yeah, oh, exactly. epic romance feeling from them. I was just like, why are you guys making out in a cemetery? Like, it's weird. And, the and re- like, yeah. immediately jumping in and being like, we can't do... And it's like, we what know you, you can't talking do this. About? You don't do yeah. this. Like, you <laughs> haven't been in each other's lives. And it felt really weird and contrived. And so I'm glad they didn't try to show us something like that. Agreed. But I also don't understand then this switch to, I can't talk about it. It's too much. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, it definitely really also irritating. feels more like it th- we all watched seasons one through three. <laughs> I know that their love story is epic and beautiful and I loved it and I swooned for it then. And I do feel like it is really irritating that both shows then even through the end of both shows, I think kind of insist on retelling us. No, no, no. But Buffy and Angel are the epic romance. Like, and if anything, you're right. This is a good segue into the Angel episode because they sort of poke fun at it, at least in Angel, where it's like, man, you can't just keep telling us that something is so because you're definitely no longer showing us. You can't just keep saying they're still in love and it's epic still when like they never, ever talk or see each other or have any kind of relationship whatsoever. Like it was those things. It isn't actively those things. The only person they ever communicate with in Sunnydale is Willow. Yeah. 
Ugh. Okay, well, tell us about Fredless. Okay, so like I said, Angel comes back from meeting secretly with Buffy. Wesley and Cordelia are like acting out the, the grand love story of Buffy and Angel for Fred. Um, so Angel's annoyed, so he takes Fred to go get some ice cream. And on the way back to the hotel, they encounter a demon in the sewers, so he kind of sends her on her way. Um, and fights this demon. Meanwhile, while they've been out, Fred's parents have shown up at the hotel and they're looking for their daughter because she's been missing for five years and apparently recently sent them a letter saying she was fine, but please don't come and find her. So they've hired their own detective who's tracked her down to uh, the Angel Investigations Hotel and now they want to know, hey, where's my daughter? So Fred sees them talking to Wesley and Cordelia and Gunn and like runs upstairs and runs away because for unknown reasons she doesn't want to see her parents and it's kind of played like maybe her parents are suspicious and like they have ulterior motives we don't really know they keep threatening to call someone and um so they're working with the team like going across the city trying to find Fred and you know it's this mutual suspicion and mistrust on both sides. Um, you know, the team is wondering why Fred never really talks about her parents and her parents are wondering what it exactly it is that Fred does with this weird group of people that keep making references to monsters and things. <laughs> um, they track down um, Lauren because Fred had gone to Caritas to try to get some help or even just some cash for a bus ticket. Mm-hmm. And um, he tells them where she is. She's at the bus station. She has this very emotional reunion with her parents. It turns out, you know, her parents are really nice people. Fred just didn't want to see them because then she'd have to admit to herself like her ordeal in Pilea actually mm-hmm. had happened. Um, and meanwhile, this reunion is interrupted by another demon, this like giant insect thing. And... Um, they battle it. Fred's mother actually ends up killing it by running it over with a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, they go back to the hotel. Fred decides she's leaving with her parents. And um, the team is kind of sitting around the hotel reminiscing about their short time with Fred and, you know, kind of indicating that they're all really sad that she's leaving and they wouldn't mind if she had stayed. And then another giant bug walks into the hotel. And Fred runs in to save the day because she's figured out why these demons are attacking because Angel had killed another demon that had their eggs. And it's this whole hive mind creature thing (laughs) trying to get their babies back. And so she kills the, or she frees the babies with this like axe contraption that she made. And then she, in this battle moment, has this epiphany that actually her path is to stay with the Angel Investigations team and contribute and help however she can to their fight against evil. And so her parents are proud of her, but sad that she's not coming with them, but they're just going to stick around for a little bit and get to know their daughter again. And they're very accepting of her choice for Mm -hmm. her life, which I think is really nice. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's it. It's a, it's another really fun episode, I think. I mean, it was fun, but I thought it was also really emotionally satisfying. Like, I had, to, I looked up who wrote this episode, and it wasn't, you know, any of the names that I recognized, but I thought it was, yeah. in addition to being a good, you know, I think an episode that we needed, you know, Fred's been around for a while, she has all these quirks about her that have mostly, again, kind of been getting played either for laughs or it's just kind of like, well, you know, she's the one that does this, and we all just kind of take it for, accept it as face at face value, but we haven't had much opportunity to really delve into how traumatic 
being kidnapped was for her. You know, it's come up a couple of times, but I think it was definitely high time we had an episode kind of devoted to her and how she's feeling. So in in that way, I think it was super well-timed. And then I just thought this episode was full of really great little touches. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is that your, t- is that your take on this episode? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it is really a kind of emotional because I think at first it kind of takes you on this journey where at mm-hmm. first you kind of realize when Fred is missing and nobody knows enough about her to help find her. Yeah. That nobody's really, ex- like, put themselves out there. Fred is someone they're happy to take under their wing and protect her because obviously she's been through this horrible ordeal, but mm-hmm. no one's really taken the time to get to know her or Well, she also kind of her. resists that also. She has, yeah. Um, but nobody, they haven't really connected. And, like, the only thing they really know is that she likes tacos. Right. Um, <laughs> and Angel. <laughs> and Angel, yeah. yeah. And so, but even Angel, like, she's kind of connected with Angel because Angel kind of isn't treating her as this, like, broken thing that you know needs special care he's just like hey let's go get some ice cream mm, um, mm-hmm. but then we see her parents come and we see this like inner emotional turmoil that she's apparently been dealing with where it kind of explains all the writing she's been doing on the wall I think yeah trying to hash out what happened to her but also her living in the hotel and not having to venture out into the world is also this easy way for her to pretend that none of this happened like yeah. if she doesn't if she doesn't see her parents again, if they don't reunite, then maybe she's not their daughter and therefore not the person who went through all of yeah. this. And it's, it's, it's very convoluted, but it's also understandable, I think. I think it also really made a lot... It, it gave her a lot, um, a lot more depth to her crush on Angel. Because, again, I think it's always seemed... It's obvious why she would have a crush on Angel, because he rescued her and he's handsome and charming. But I think this made it really feel like it's so, you know, it's more than that. She's not just being superficial and silly about it. It really is like she genuinely was in a horrible, horrible place. He literally rescued her from it. And then, yeah, like, I I guess I just thought that was also really beautiful. Like everything that it, everything that it established in this, it made Fred make sense, which is kind of the thing she doesn't, she doesn't do. (laughs) She doesn't make sense, but it was like, oh, it really felt like I understood her in this episode. I think my the other thing that I think was sort of was a little more subtle, but that I really appreciated, too, and was certainly not resolved, is how bitter Lorne is in this episode. You know, she goes to see him. He kind of gives her brushes. It's not that he brushes her off. He gives her advice that I think is really jaded. And that's not normally what he does. And then also when everybody else shows up again later, he kind of makes some jabs at them. It's clear that they haven't really been back there since the last since they're like massacre that took place there so it's like Lauren's bar is destroyed he can't operate his business these jerks who use him for information haven't even come by to check on him you know and it's like and he feels tense with gun like I don't know I feel like they did a lot with Lauren for how little he was actually in the episode yeah I'm kind of assuming that we get some sort of follow-up on that but I don't really remember how it how it comes back I don't know. I hope so, because like it is a little bit shocking that none of them went back and were like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Clean up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like literally still a mess. Gunn could have done that. But yeah, no. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, again, that Lauren's advice to her is like, you didn't run far enough. I was like, I don't know, Lauren. I don't know if that's I mean, granted, I don't know what he's reading off of her aura at that moment. But like. I was like, maybe that's good advice. We'll see how this episode plays out. But now that the episode is over, it's not good advice. That's not what she needed to do. No. So he's maybe taking his issues out on her a little bit. 
But yeah, I mean, and then of course, as we hit on this kind of all the time now, but I, there are tons of very small, short moments where Angel and Cordelia are just being really flirty with one another. You know, like after they fight with this, the first uh, monster, everybody has to get bandaged up. And that seems to kind of be Cordelia's, you know, one of her duties in this group. And like Angel runs up to get patched up and he's like just being really silly about it. She calls him a dork and it's just like really cute. And then later on, she said something about soothing him. That was a little bit suggestive, (laughs) but like in a way that feels very natural. Like it just feels like a gradual flirtation that's kind of growing as time goes on. No, I think you're right. I think even Cordelia, like, like you said, like her offer to soothe him was Mm -hmm. like kind of suggestive, but I don't think either of them at that point, like mean it that way. Anything serious into it. Like it's just her like making some like they have their own like joke rapport. That yeah, yeah. Tapping into. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's gonna become. But serious. no, yeah, it is kind of still there, simmering in the background. Especially you know in this episode where Angel's just had an encounter with you know this. It's great true. Love of yeah. his, and so the lightheartedness of their interactions is frankly welcome. Uh, agreed. I have to say too the other the other thing that is. You know, this episode was very, I think, at first reminiscent of the episode where we first meet Tara's family and Buffy. And I I knew that her parents weren't going to turn out to be evil just because I've watched enough of this show. It's not that I remembered this episode, but it's like, well, if you're positioning them as evil at the beginning, they're probably going to turn out not to be and vice versa, you know? So I wasn't surprised that it didn't have the same resolution as the Tara episode or same reveal more so. Uh, But I, again, what what really impressed me is that it's not just that it turns out that Fred's parents are loving and supportive, but how much the rest of the group needed parents also is like, we have seen one by one them talk about their parents, but they never talk about it collectively and kind of just seeing how all of them really needed some, you know, or really responded rather to having supportive parents, even if they weren't their parents. Like it was just so sweet. Like, oh, that's right. Wesley had an abusive dad and Angel had a terrible relationship with his father and Cordelia's parents didn't care about her ever and left her and abandoned her. You know, I'm like, I kind of forget the details of Gunn's story, but he and his sister were like living on the street since they were teenagers. So probably not good. Yeah. I mean, it's always really kind of sad when you like really think about the realities of their lives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And Fred's parents were a nice counterpoint. I think I really liked them. Yeah. Also that actor who plays her dad is like the go-to like Southern warm-hearted oh yeah (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen him in anything he was in so much like and I keep seeing him in in even more than I remembered like he was in um the OC and then (laughs) I I think I saw him show up somewhere else I don't remember and I'm just like oh it's like always like oh that guy like he always has a southern accent (laughs) well the last thing that I'll say is that there was definitely a little uh reference to Joss Whedon's own uh work outside of this world in this episode because uh, Fred's mom at one point is talking about how her dad loves those kinds of movies and the ones that are full of like guts and aliens and stuff. And then she's like, oh, except that last one, he really slept through that one. And this is definitely after Alien Resurrection came out, which is the alien movie that Joss Whedon wrote and or directed. Oh my God, I missed that reference. It's funny because I could tell that they were making a jab at something. And then Alex was like, <laughs> oh, it's alien. And I was like, okay, let me confirm that. And that's what it is. Yeah, I know he wrote the fourth one. Mm-hmm. So... Which was, for a long time, the only one I had ever seen. (laughs) Such a shame. (laughs) Um, Because, no, I've since seen the other two, but, um, or not the the only two that matter. (laughs) Yeah. The the, good two. It was was weird, because when I was a kid, like, my, I would, like, spend a month at my grandma's house every summer, Mm -hmm. and, like, she had, like, you know, 
some cable package with like movie channels and one summer I swear to god they played Alien Resurrection on a loop for like two (laughs) weeks and so I saw it like four times Mm. and I had no idea about the first few movies and I I couldn't even tell you the plot of it like I just remember like green green glowing things or something and I was like weirdly like not afraid of it like it was definitely a time in my life where I was like afraid to watch like Hook you know Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, no, I, for a really long time, that was the only alien movie that I had actually seen. And then when I found out that Joss Whedon wrote it, I was like, oh, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that, I mean, that's what I have to say about this one. I liked it. I thought, yeah, I liked it. I loved it even. No, we're, it's nice to like have Fred officially on board mm-hmm. and not just kind of like, you know, their, their little ward that they've taken mm-hmm, in. Like, mm-hmm. she's just kind of, like, living there. Like, she's she's now decided to stay on her own terms. Yeah. Anyway, so. And has decided that she's going to bring something to the team also, right? I, we yeah. didn't talk about that at all, but she's, like, made up a little invention. And she's also, like, helped deduce what was going on with the monsters in this episode. So it is clear that she can contribute. She doesn't, she's not just going to be there getting in the way from now on. Yeah. And it's kind of, I think, like, a choice to do that. Like, it's not that she couldn't have done that before. Right. But it, she, she wasn't. sort of healed a little bit psychologically so mm-hmm. she can actually be a like live and contributing member to this team yeah. and not someone who's just like jumping at shadows yeah so. exactly okay well uh that's these episodes that <laughs> fredless and uh life serial mm-hmm. um so next time we've got all the way okay billy okay so I think I remember what both of those are. I don't remember what the angel one is, of course, but I do know the Buffy <laughs> one. I think, I haven't checked this, but I actually think it's to do with the guy that Angel freed from the prison. And that's what uh, the screen grab is uh, is suggesting. Oh, yeah. okay. That makes sense. And then all the way, I believe we'll All the Way has a special guest star, Amber Tamblyn. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. Yeah. Okay. So we will talk about those in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then what do you Uh-oh. have any pop culture? Still no. But yeah, I am in the final are. season of Bones. So I'm almost done. And then there'll be time <laughs> in my life for something new. Um, I expect like some sort of like dissertation on the value <laughs> of all 12 seasons. And <laughs> um, I don't think I have that. I did have a weird. I did have a thought where I was like, maybe instead of, since I don't have any new pop culture recommendations that I should do with my time on this segment of the show is just make some sort of argument about past pop culture, but I'm not really going to do that. I was talking to Alex about Six Feet Under specifically, and then I like sort of had this theory about, about it as a show or uh, dramas that don't have like, um, well, whatever. Now I'm just doing it and I don't want to do it. Anyway, I just was like, oh, maybe I'll just give everyone my thoughts about Six Feet Under. <laughs> But I I'm not watching it right now. I haven't seen it in years. Anyway, I will not do that. But there will be time in my life for new things soon. Uh, and I, most of, you know, most of the later seasons of Bones are very redundant. It's only worth watching if you just enjoy the, di- you know, it's just the same dynamics playing out all the time. But they did have a pretty good twist at the end of uh, season 11. So I'm not sorry that I watched it all. Nice. Um, what about you? No. <laughs> Um, I am about, okay, so not something that I've actually done yet, but I, uh, heard a great book recommendation recently, and so once I get my hands on it, I intend to read it, but, um, the copy chief of Random House is this guy named, oh god, what's his name? Um, Oh my god, wait, the, um, the grammar book? Yeah, he, yeah, oh, I totally want to read that too. Uh, 
God, what's this? Now, like, literally, like, I blanked on his name as I started Doyle talking about it. No, uh, no. Benjamin Dreyer. Yeah. So he started he, with a D. I was close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so he is the copy chief of Random House. So like the in one of the imprints of Random House that does adult fiction and nonfiction, I think. But um, he for a, lo- a while now has had like a pretty really popular Twitter account where he just is very pithy and very you know like he's just very entertaining about grammar and copy editing and that kind of stuff. So um, one of my friends is always talking like whenever he's like doing something cool on Twitter, she'll like tell me about it or whatever. So she, w- we were talking about it the other day cause she was like, Oh, he's doing like a Q and a on Twitter right now about like grammar questions. So like, it's just totally worth checking out his Twitter feed. If you have any passing interest in words or grammar at all. Um, and then, yeah, he just finally came out with a book, um, that's been getting great reviews everywhere. I, I listened to a podcast that he, or he was like on an episode of the Barnes and Noble podcast. So I was like, I guess I'll listen to that. And it was great. Like he's just got a really great perspective about things. So I haven't read the book yet, but I'm certain that it will be excellent. And even if you don't read the book, I would definitely recommend reading one or two of the articles that came out over the last week. Like he wrote a couple, like if you just Google Benjamin Dreyer and like go to the news area, I'm sure you'll find like a couple of interviews that he's done or the, a couple of pieces. Like there was a big piece in the times about him where they just kind of talked about, it wasn't, it wasn't the book review, but like there was a separate article about him too. So there we go. Got something. But I actually realized how many like grammar and word books that I own that I haven't read yet. So next on my list is this book called The Subversive Copy Editor, uh, which is written by the, uh, I don't know if she's the editor or what exactly of the Chicago Manual of Style. So that I've been told is very good. So I have that one. And then hopefully after that, will be the Benjamin Dreyer book. And then I have another book that's about crossword puzzles that I'm not as sure I'll get to. <laughs> but I cleaned off my bookshelves the other day and I was like, oh, you should, I guess you got this whole word section of unread books. So. That's where I'm going. With that said, we'll uh, be back. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back with our grammar reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and whose team are you on this week? Oh, oh. Um, Fred? Okay. I'm going to be uh, Team Fred's mom. I'm <laughs> running over that bug with her bus. <laughs> with that all was bus, pretty epic. Yeah. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere, too, because it's just like all of a sudden... It's like when Glory got hit by the truck. Yeah. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, we'll be back. Let's talk about the next yep. two episodes. All right. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.